Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, 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 it's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. Now, that might be the mission of your nonprofit or your nonprofit consultancy. All right, so we have a great, great podcast for you today. As always, we have Miss Shannon McCracken from the Nonprofit Alliance on the podcast this week. And she is going to be talking about a few things. Um, for one, she's going to be talking about some uh, national policies that the Nonprofit Alliance is really trying to drive forward that have a huge impact on nonprofits. She's also going to talk about some of the trainings that the Nonprofit Alliance has. And we actually talk about one specifically that they had just a little while ago on gender equity, which is really, really cool. And then we also talk about this really cool thing, which she said is the most popular on their website, and that is a jobs board. Really cool, and you actually don't even need to be a member to access the jobs board. So definitely you guys are gonna wanna check this out. You're also gonna wanna um, look into what a membership means for the Nonprofit Alliance um, and to see how they advocate forward for nonprofits. And just as a side note, I am not an affiliate for the Nonprofit Alliance. Um, I just think they're really cool and I really enjoyed talking to Shannon and seeing the work that they are doing for the nonprofit sector. So before we get started today, I definitely wanted to say a word from our sponsor, and that is grant writing and funding. Uh, welcome, welcome. We do fund all of our podcasts uh, sponsor-free. Well, we are our own sponsor. <laughs> so I just wanna let you guys know that we appreciate you as a listener tuning in as you're driving to work or as you're taking that walk or cooking that food or whatever you whatever you like to do when you listen to the podcast and also let you know we are on youtube um if you also would like to watch the show um and that is um at grant writing and funding so what we have going on this month we actually have a lot of really cool things one of the main things is we do our our eight week freelance grant writer academy opening up September 20th, it, we're kicking off. So we're actually already open. I only have 10 slots available and actually only nine um, available now. So you definitely, if you want to start, grow, or launch um, your non, or your freelance grant writing business, actually write grants and get paid to do it, but you need to know all the backend business stuff like getting your website together, figuring out how to focus your time and energy so you're productive and you're actually making money, how to reach out to nonprofit clients, how to do all the marketing that's specific in this area, um, and how to do so many things in your business, like your, how to like figure out how, how much income you need, uh, how to actually price your services, and so much more. You will definitely wanna sign up for this. We meet together live on Zoom twice a week for eight weeks and you will learn everything about um, starting, growing, and scaling an amazing freelance grant writing business. So if you are interested in that, this is our final academy of 2022. So you're definitely going to want to join. You can jump over to free or grant, sorry. You can jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash academy dash 
2022. So definitely go there and check it out if you're interested. We also have something coming up next week that you are really gonna wanna be a part of. That is on Tuesday, September 13th. I actually have a free webinar and it's all about three steps to actually start that business, that freelance grant writing business. So if you're not sure about taking the big leap into the academy yet, you're definitely gonna wanna join that webinar. Just jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 235. That is for today's episode and there'll also be a pop-up there so you can definitely uh, click to sign up for that. So please do check out once again, grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 235 for all of our links and all the things today for Shannon, as well as to find out about that webinar coming up and jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash academy-2022 to grab one of those slots. So yes, I do have a free webinar coming up next week that's gonna talk more about the eight-week freelance grant writer academy, but the slots might fill up by then. <laughs> so you definitely wanna jump over and check it out. All right, guys, so we're going to get into it today with Shannon and just a little bit about Shannon. Shannon McCracken leads the Nonprofit Alliance, a membership association that launched in 2018 with unprecedented support and momentum to promote, protect, and strengthen the nonprofit sector. Prior to her role with the Nonprofit Alliance, Shannon spent two years as Charity Navigator's Chief Development Officer, facilitating communication with nonprofit organizations and dramatically increasing resources to ensure successful implementation of a new strategic plan. She now serves on Charity Navigator's Board of Directors, and previously, Shannon spent 17 years with Special Olympics International, most recently as Vice President of Donor Development, building and managing a collaborative individual fundraising program on behalf of the global headquarters and North American chapters. Shannon served as the DMA Nonprofit Federation Advisory Council Chair and Chair of the Ethics Committee. She is a certified association executive and holds a master's degree in nonprofit and association management. You are definitely going to get all of the links today once again to find out more about the Nonprofit Alliance on grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 235. So please do check that out and check out also the website. Make sure you go there and check out that jobs board. It's super cool because you can really see, even if you're not looking for a job, it's good for you to go there if you're in the nonprofit world just to see what's out there, what's going on. Because yes, we all know the job landscape has changed dramatically in 2022, especially. So go there, see what's out there, see how people are actually promoting value in their nonprofits, right? Is it more flexibility in working? Is it shorter hours? Is it maternity leave? Is it higher wages? Like there may be combinations of all of these different things. And I think it's really important for anyone working in the nonprofit industry to know what that is, right? To know what the market looks like. Of course, if you're a consultant, you can definitely check it out. There's actually a lot more jobs now um, with remote work, consulting, etc., cetera, um, because of our new, <laughs> like our advanced technical age. All right, guys, so I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. 
Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and I'm super excited to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission of your nonprofit or your nonprofit consultancy. And um, I have a great show today. I actually have Shannon McCracken from the Nonprofit Alliance. She is going to be on to talk about a lot of what they do. So you may have heard the Nonprofit Alliance kind of kicked around here and there. You may be a member already, um, or you may be thinking about becoming a member or just attending some of their trainings. And it's not just about the trainings, though, is what I got to say. You guys have a lot up your sleeve. You guys are doing a lot of work in the nonprofit sector and can really bring a, a lot of education to the forefront. And you, even Shannon, you have a lot of history and, you know, experience in the nonprofit sector with working at, um, I believe it was Special Olympics International for almost two decades and for also just working with Charity Navigator and now being at the Nonprofit Alliance and really heading this up. So thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to pop on and, and to share with our audience today some of the stuff you guys are doing. Thanks, Holly. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I love, you know, I just kind of want to dive in, but before I do, I'm going to hold myself back a little bit because I just want you to kind of understand maybe someone's like, I've never heard of the Nonprofit Alliance before, or maybe a kind of, but what exactly is it? Can you just kind of break it down a bit, um, give your pitch or your spiel, if you will, so people have a good idea of what we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely. The Nonprofit Alliance promotes, protects, and strengthens the nonprofit sector. And we're an association. Our, our members are nonprofit organizations and companies that work with nonprofits in marketing, fundraising, compliance, um, HR, nonprofit search. So uh, just the whole community, the whole social good community as part of our membership. We work through adv advocacy and policy issues. And then, as you mentioned, the training, um, education, seminars, um, summits, really focused mostly at, at leadership roles and rising leaders. Mm -hmm. And then we have an arm that's really focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the space and increasing our inclusion and our representation across our staff. You know, many organizations are focused on who they're serving, on their volunteer base. We really take the angle of starting internally with who we're hiring, who we're retaining, and who we're promoting. Oh, I love that. And I and I was just talking to you because you actually invited me to one of the sessions you guys had recently, which was fantastic with Save the Children, uh, the Nature Conservancy, I believe, and with Gender Fair to talk about gender um, equality and equity in the nonprofit space. And really good. I mean, you guys just run a really good webinar, very objective, but bringing out all of the good points on not just the issue, but solutions and having some case studies. So thank you so much for um doing that sort of work and bringing up different voices um, where we can really move forward in more equity. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. We focus a lot on the expertise in the room. So sometimes we can bring in outside experts, but a lot of times, like you mentioned, organizations are already doing this work. And so just providing the space and the forum to share those ideas, um, what we're doing well and what we're not doing well, right? And learning from each other in that and having some shared, um, some shared vulnerabilities, some shared risk and therefore shared growth. Yeah, absolutely. Really good. So yeah, so I love I love the trainings. And even when we're talking about, I know we're not just going to talk about the training, but you definitely, that's a big arm that you guys have and provide. Um, and you have a lot, it looks like you already have the rest of your year scheduled out as far as what the training that you're going to provide. So I was really pleased to see all of the different things. 
especially that bring your value is not that you're saying DEI is a big thing. You actually have trainings on DEI. You have people coming into the room to share and discuss what they're doing in their organizations for that. So I think that's that's really good. I also like I commented in the green room before this. I love the one about um, you already have, you know, your November 4th. <laughs> We're going to talk about <laughs> politics and what you know, the results of the elections are and how that may impact the nonprofit sector. So definitely already thinking that way is really important to dissect that, which brings me to another arm of yours that I'd love to spend some time in right now is policies. Um, I love anything policy driven. I love being on government committees. I love advancing legislation because I think that can really change the world, right? In <laughs> these kind of backroom, kind of like not often seen ways, but it does really influence, um, you know, the way the system works, like of the world and of the nonprofit center. So can you spend some time talking about maybe some of your top policies in 2022 and, and beyond and maybe in 2023 that you guys will be focusing on and, and why and why that's important to the nonprofit sector? Absolutely. And let me let me spotlight too, Holly. Um, and but before I do that, let me say our membership is really split in people who are like you, who love the policy stuff, want to roll up their sleeves, dive in, have those wonky conversations, come to Hill Days with us, you know, really getting into that. And then the half that want nothing to do with that, not interested or maybe intimidated or don't have background there, not where they want to put their time. And collectively, that is all good, right? And that's that's part of the value of associations like ours in this space is that we're here to, to do that work with the members who want to step up and on behalf of the members who don't. And so um, whether it's with the Nonprofit Alliance or somebody else, finding those memberships and being part of those communities is just so important to make sure that our voices are amplified. Yeah. Um, so, so really two issues that uh, of the several that we're working on two that we'll talk about today, one is the universal charitable deduction. And so um, when the, the tax policy or when our, our um, taxes changed a couple of years ago, back in 2018, everybody started filing a little bit differently because our standard deductions increased. And what that meant for most of us as household taxpayers was that we no longer itemize, right? So the wealthiest people still itemize and they still have a separate deduction then for their charitable contributions. But for many of us, that itemization is no longer necessary, which means there's not a separate benefit to making charitable deductions. It's this yeah. higher number and it doesn't get separated out anymore. We really see that as losing some of the democratization of giving. Why should only the wealthiest taxpayers, the wealthiest households have that additional incremental benefit of their charitable giving? We want everybody to have that benefit. And that's what the universal charitable deduction does, at least to some extent. It adds that above the line deduction. Um, right now it's $300 for individuals and $600 for, um, for married couples filing jointly. Mm -hmm. Now I say right now, that's what was in place in 2021. In 2022, it has not been confirmed yet. So it's part of a tax extenders package. Every, basically everything else in that package are corporate tax policies. And so there's kind of no rush on those. As long as they get passed by the end of the year, companies are fine. They're not worried about it. They know it'll go through. It's a little bit different for nonprofits, even though it will be retroactive to January 1 of this year. We've had all these months, eight months now, going on nine months, where donors haven't had that that 
exactly in place, right? So we as organizations, we as fundraisers, we as gift officers have not been able to say, oh, you have this opportunity to deduct some or all of your charitable giving this year. That is likely to get passed. We expect it to be passed before the end of the year, even if it's in that lame duck session at, at year end. Um, but what we really want as we go into next year is to ensure that that's permanent. So it's yeah. there all the time, ultimately raise those dollar levels as well. Mm-hmm. But this isn't something we want to have to cycle and spend energy on every year. And fortunately, there's bipartisan support. We just need to get it over that finish line. Right, right. And that's really interesting because like you said, prior to 2018, more people were itemizing, right? And so if you give, you know, um, you can give $100, right? Couldn't you also deduct it wasn't, uh, was there a, a cap set on that before? Or there, there are, yes, yes, there are limitations. There are, you know, it's a percentage based on your tax bracket. And I don't want to take us all the way down that rabbit hole, but, um, but it, but it was, if you itemize, there was a way to add your charitable contributions in there as part of that itemization. And that itemization is still there. It's just that far fewer of us qualify for it. Um, And so that's, that's the difference where you may not be able to itemize and your neighbor can, and it's all about what tax bracket they're in. We just want that opportunity there for everyone. Right. Yeah. And I could see how maybe the IRS thought this was streamlining and then maybe, you know what I mean? But at the same time, what are we losing out on? So I think that's great that you guys have been working hard to incorporate that again, because it is really important. And especially as, you know, you guys who are out there, not just for the nonprofits, but nonprofit consultants who run a business too, because I know a lot of you guys also donate and are charitable givers. And this is important for you to be able to itemize in your business as well. So really important. I mean, that's a whole task thing. I'm going to say I'm not an accountant. Right, right. And business deductions are different too. And so, you know, that's another, but, but, you know, really it's about the individuals. It's about the everyday givers. Yeah. that, That tax benefit is there. It is not the only reason why people give. It may not be the biggest reason why people give, but again, if we're going to offer it to some, we should offer it to all. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's really important. So that's good that there's bipartisan support and that it looks like it's going to get passed. So I imagine you guys will be um, having, you know, some kind of information on that. Hopefully once it's passed. Um, so really explain that again. Yeah. So that's great. So what, what are the other policies that you guys are working on? So the other one let's talk about is um, is data privacy and, and consumer data. This is one that we've been working on since we the Nonprofit Alliance formed in 2018. Um, we are looking for a bipartisan, reasonable federal standard for how consumers' data is collected, used, deleted, um, controlled by consumers so they have access to their information and understand why and how it's being used. A lot of Congress has been slow to move on that for a couple different reasons. They've had other priorities like COVID response. Um, they and many other issues, obviously, over the past couple of years, but also because they're just lock jammed on it. Um, Democrats and Republicans come at this issue very differently. There are some real sticking points and they haven't been able to, to make much progress. Actually, just this year, a bill was put forward. Um, it is not going to pass this year, but at least there's something on the table. Meanwhile, states have been moving faster. So California was one of the quickest out of the gate. You know, they they got ahead, really created a blueprint. Some other states have taken that and adjusted it slightly and, and come out with their own. Many of these so far, most of these so far, there are several that have passed. Most um, do not include nonprofits. So nonprofits are not specifically required to comply. But 
nonprofits don't operate in little data bubbles, right? We are reliant on third-party services that are using data, third-party sources of data. And so it's wonderful that nonprofits are exempted, but we really want a solution that is that is consistent for the entire country. So we're not looking at state-by-state state re regulations. And that really makes sense in a way that supports nonprofits and all the other businesses that use data and at the same time protects consumers. That's a really hard line to strike. That's yeah. that's a high bar. There's a reason why this hasn't moved quickly. Yeah. But where states are coming up with their own separate solutions, that's going to create quite a challenge. Um, yeah. And and so we would like to see federal move much faster to have a preemptive solution that is the same for everyone, regardless of where you as a consumer live in the United States and where regardless of where your organization is based and operates in fundraising and program. Yeah, no, that's absolutely an important matter. Um, I mean, I know in the European Union, they did the GDPR quite a while ago, and that really streamlined a lot of their data collection and, you know, kind of put that framework that you're talking about. Have you guys looked at that as a model as well and how that would kind of, you know, maybe help to create a blueprint? Yes, and GDPR really is what urged California on and urged others on to see the EU out there with a with a framework for them to have um, moved all the way to from inception to actual um, start date of that. We watched some of what went well with that and what some of the fallout yeah. um, and in California learned from that and made some changes accordingly and other states looking at it as well. Um, it, again, it's where there are individual states coming up with their own versions, like a state saying, oh, everybody else is doing opt out, but we're going to do opt in in our state. I mean, just the disruption of that in data doesn't kind of live in state borders, right? So, and organizations' missions don't live within state borders. And so for everyone's cost management and operations and ensuring that we're, we're giving all of our donors and stakeholders and constituents consistent service, consistent access to um, our information, consistent opportunity to give and support. That's where we're really looking for that, that national framework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting that to do it by state, because you're right. In a lot of um, nonprofits, say just bringing it to the nonprofit space, they may operate in different states. Um, obviously, they're going to have donors from different mm -hmm. states. So you know, is it just on the collection end? Is it on the receiving end? Where is it, right? Um, right. There are different policies for different states. So that can be really, really tricky to figure out how to comply with that, right? And how to handle that. But it's important because I think, you know, the donors really want to know too what where their da data is going, right? Um, who's collecting it? All of a sudden they end up on an email list and they're like, I didn't, I didn't subscribe to this. You know what I mean? That kind of right. stuff, right? So there's a lot of like list selling and all of that, right? So it's, it's it, and people, there's really not, like you said, a formula around like how you're, you're supposed to comply with anything, right? It's kind of the wild west right now with data. Yes. That's yes. it. Um, yes. And we agree. Consumers need, it, we need to shine a light on this. We need consumers, all of us as individuals, want to understand how our data is being used and what's being collected. And most of the concerns, if you polled people on the street, the concerns they have are not necessarily with nonprofits. It's with all of it. it's what's being collected on their phone, and it's you know what what is what are their kids doing, and all of these things. And and nonprofits are just a small part of that. What makes us a little bit 
different and distinct is the trust factor. So think about some of the data breaches that you've heard about. So let's talk about security here a little bit, as well as just the, the trust and integrity of data. But think about some of these data breaches or misuse of data. Some of them have been with big companies, hotel chains, you know, retail providers, services that we use, car shares, you know, services that we use all the time. And we might for a moment in time think, well, gosh, this is really frustrating. I'm upset. But the next time we need a car, a ride share, the next time we need to run out and buy our kids school supplies, the next, right, we go back to those same things. We go back to the hotel where we've accumulated these points right. because there's a convenience there because we, there are other, other reasons why we shop there or use those services. Mm -hmm. And we kind of accept that trade-off with our data. With nonprofits, it's a little bit different. I mean, whether it's use of data or customer service, donor service, if you have a bad experience, if you lose some of that faith and that trust and that partnership sense of, of appreciation mutually between the organization and the, the donor or the constituent, as donors, we can walk away. You know, yeah. what, what is binding us to that organization? We can walk away from that particular organization and find another that does similar work. We can, worst case scenario, we walk away from the cause. We get frustrated and say, you know, heck with this, I'll keep my money. Um, and so we just, nonprofits have this extra layer of responsibility and I'll even say accountability to our constituents and to the general public to do the right thing. So we absolutely support having federal legislation to, to do everything that I'm describing and really put some controls in around data access and use and collection and making sure that it's reasonable and not written only for some of the tech giants or the first party collectors or some of those that I think we all think of when we think about some of the, the data concerns. Right, right. No, I think that's really important. And I applaud you guys for taking on that immense role to really push it forward because it is, it's a big thing. Like you said, it's a slow moving giant, but you know, at some point it's going to be taken care of. It's going to be looked at, right? No matter what, like as we're moving on, because there's going to be more breaches, you know, that's basically what it's going to get done probably is more breaches. And then they really have to look at it and right? So to really say, okay, we have to put something in place. And I know that there's just, you know, there's more of that. There's more about data security right now because it is a wild west and we have to really figure out how we're going to move forward in this technological world where we do share data, but how do we do it ethically and with transparency, but at the same time with compliance, right? And with some safeguards. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. So those are the two big policy pushes that you guys are looking at working on throughout this year and in 2023 or uh, in the near future. And I see you guys have some other things, but I know people can definitely dive in and look more at what you guys are working on. Like you said, it's not, you guys aren't just a policy um, pack, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? You guys are actually like, right. you know, you have other things that people can be involved in as well. And that's just one thing, um, but it's very important. Another thing I noticed that you guys had, which I thought was really cool, and you actually mentioned, you said this is actually one of our most popular places to go, and that's your job board. Can you kind of talk about your job board? Because I think that was that's such a great um, resource that you guys have. Sure, absolutely. Our members really like it as a benefit, being able to post their open positions there. We have the, the dynamic job board is on our website and publicly accessible at all times. And uh, and then we put out a, a weekly jobs bulletin email. So at 6 a.m. Eastern time on Monday mornings, we, we pop out the 
jobs bulletin deliver right into inboxes with the latest postings right at the top and, and then other jobs will stay on there for about 30 days. Um, and, and it's, that is one of our highest open rates on our emails is that jobs bulletin. And it's not all people who are either looking to hire or looking to be hired. It's just a place where we can all kind of keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening in the sector, who's hiring, what positions are out there, what's kind of moving around, um, you know, at the start of, of some of the fiscal years uh, at the various um, times during the year, you know, we'll all of a sudden see a jump in positions being listed because budgets have been freed up or hiring freezes have been lifted. And, and so it's just, we all like to know where the movement is or where the movement might be. Oh yeah, I checked it out. I was looking at it. It was giving them and I sent it over uh, to some people in the mentorship for the nonprofit consultants. I said, hey, check it out. You never know if they're hiring um, consultants as well. And, um, but it was just a great resource. And I thought, wow, this is really nice because it does give that opportunity for people who are either hiring or want to get hired, you know, or changing positions. I know there's a lot of lateral movement going on in nonprofits a lot of times. Um, you know, the whole thing with going, kind of coming back segueing back into our initial conversation about gender equity and a lot of people, they've hit these glass ceilings at certain nonprofits. Sometimes the best thing to do is move laterally so they can move up the ladder, right? So definitely looking at opportunities and and just overall and the great, you know, I call it the great redistribution, right? Instead of the great resignation, because it does feel like people are just moving from like one sector or one even whole career to another, right? So that's a great opportunity to kind of put out there what's what's going on in the nonprofit sector for hiring and, and trends. Do you guys examine any of those trends? Like as far as like, oh, there's a lot of this skill that's being looked at right now, or is that something that you guys might do in the future? We don't right now um, in, a, in a very precise way. We do sort of keep an eye on anything that's that seems to be popping again, we'll see surges in time that generally correlate to the start of a new fiscal year. Um, and, and then of course the remote work positions that, and I think even that's sort of settling out a little bit where, um, people are finding more hybrid solutions work both ways. Um, the, the balance of being at home some of the time and it works some of the time, you know, those sorts of things, but it was really interesting as the world started to reopen again, and seeing the positions that were posted as fully remote, we're getting much more response. And the positions that were fully in office were really having trouble filling those roles. And so sometimes we would see those be reposted with a little bit more flexibility on geography. Um, and, and again, we've seen that taper off a little bit, I think as everything kind of resettles and people's lives feel like we have structure and predictability again to some degree. But the, but those sorts of peaks and valleys of what we're seeing get posted and what we're seeing or hearing get filled are just of curious interest, if not exactly data tracked. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because when I looked at it too, and right away I saw like remote, 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 and I was like, oh, this is great, you know, because back in the day it's always an office, and there's a lot of access to that that can be missed out on, right? people not having transportation or, you know, living in different areas. So you can actually get talent from different places now, which, which is amazing. So I thought, wow, that's really, it's, it's, it is interesting. It kind of, I got my interest too. And I was kind of looking at what are some of these trends, but I, it's good to hear that there is some return to normalcy, but they're also keeping some of that flexibility as well. 
um, because I think it's just going to be the way of the future, you know, is more about work. Um, and even before pandemic, we saw trends moving that way, right? And it wasn't about COVID, about feeling safe, but it was about the other benefits that can come from uh, working remotely. So it's just very interesting. Right. Yes. And interesting, just the general conversation that's happening right now about what, um, you know, about staff retention, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting concept in and, of, in and of itself, like how much turnover is healthy turnover and we don't need to keep everybody forever. That's not good for either party generally. So there's, there's a whole lot to unpack there, but some discussion about what are some of the benefits that employers can offer that maybe they didn't choose to in the past, or, you know, it used to be about like who had the groovy ping pong table in the kitchen kind of thing. And that's not attractive if nobody's in the office. Right. So, but what are some of those other things that you're bringing people together that you're, you're creating some of the water cooler camaraderie that used to exist, even if your staff isn't back around water cooler for 40 hours a week. Um, interesting conversations around sabbaticals, which I know are really out of reach or feel out of reach for some many employers, but where, where some are implementing those for people who stay to the 10 year mark and what does that sabbatical even mean? And, and so four day work weeks, I mean, there's, there's just so much interesting conversation that's happening right now. I, I feel like we cracked open, we collectively cracked open this opportunity to, to put a lot of things on the table, what is really valued and what isn't, and can we approach some, some employee, um, valuation, meaning valuing the employee, can we approach that differently than we have in the past? I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's nice to have these meaningful conversations and really figure out, well, what is that? And, and even if you might think, oh, it's just more money or more this. And then when you, you survey or you discuss with, with staff or potential staff, like what they're really looking for, it might be completely different. Right. Right. So research that says it's really not the dollar mark anymore. Um, but like the things that you mentioned, it's about more flexibility, four-day work weeks, um, other types of benefits, right? So yeah, it's, it's interesting to kind of re kind of look at that because it might not just be a budgetary thing anymore for nonprofits, which is actually a good thing, right? So it could be looking at things and just how things, and it could actually save your nonprofit money if you don't have to get the fancy corner office, <laughs> you know, anymore. Right. Right. And what do you do with some of that savings? Can you reinvest it? Is it about you're not paying for that office space, but you're investing to bring everybody together for a one week retreat every year? You know, some, so it's not all necessarily being banked as savings, but where can you reinvest that expense that you normally would have had on employees to create same or different value? Um, I love that. that. Yeah. 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 Or even like all of a sudden offering like 40 weeks of maternity leave and paternity leave or, you know, those types of things. Like you talked about sabbaticals, um, you know, summers off, like looking at different ways on how to restructure that um, your budget. Right. Doesn't necessarily mean I like that, that it goes into savings or that whatnot. But like how do you or you don't need to raise that much anymore. But how do we really look at keeping and retaining the staff that, you know, and I like that conversation too, about even, we don't need to retain everybody though, you know? So I like, especially with grants, a lot of nonprofits are grant funded. 
their grants mm -hmm. are only going to be so many years. It's not forever, you know. So yeah, there's there's there can be a lot of discussion then about what types of um, opportunities you can create or trainings or you know that sort of thing. So great. Yeah. As as people managers, we want to be of course, committed to getting the work done. And through all of us, all of this, we still have to think about getting the work done. We still have important work that has to get done. So as we talk about shorter work weeks and you know all these other pieces, like at the end of the day, if we're not delivering on our missions, if we're not really doing what we're cut out to do, then there's a disconnect. Then, then all of the great benefits are not so great at the end of the day. Um, but this, this um, yeah, just, just the opportunity to think differently about the approach to involve our employees in that discussion, to prioritize what's important, understand that it may be different for different people and we shouldn't make assumptions. You know, yes, the youngest employees may have different priorities, different. I mean, when I was, when I was 22 years old, 20, I like loved staying late at the office because this was like my whole social group. I was living in a new town. You know, I didn't know anybody else in my apartment building other than my roommate. And I had lots of time with her, right? So this was my social group. This was this fun new, and we would stay really late and we would work these long hours. And then we would go out and socialize a little bit. And then we would start all over the next day. And that worked really well for a strata of us within that company. Right. Then there were others that really wanted to come in, work their hours, like, you know, not there to socialize, really there to get their work done because they needed to leave at a certain time to do childcare pickup or do other things that they were committed to outside of the office. The office wasn't their whole world the way it was for me, right? So side story, but sometimes it's about age. Sometimes it's about just how people value the workplace. And so understanding what that looks like for our staff right now, and then back to your, your point, Holly, about how, whether it's really important that we keep people forever as managers, our responsibility is to our company, to our organization, to our business, but it's also to the people that we're leading. And if we can create pathways and opportunities for them internally, fantastic, like win, win, win. But sometimes what we have to do is recognize that we've brought them this far and now for them to really grow, they need to go somewhere else. Yeah. And that that's not always a natural path. That's not always a path that we encourage for ourselves or our staff, you know, we, it's really about keeping them where they are and that's a disservice. And so again, it kind of goes back to that, that jobs board, the jobs bulletin, recognizing what's out there and kind of looking at it. We, the newest person on our staff here, we had a position posted and somebody that I knew from 20 years ago, mm -hmm. um, reached out to me and said, Hey, I saw this position posted on your jobs board or your social post. And I have someone internally who is a rock star. She would be fantastic for this. And I hate to lose her, but I know we can't offer her the same opportunity and she's ready for something bigger and different. And I think he recognized that he probably wasn't going to keep her much longer anyway. She was going to look on her own. And so he yeah. stepped up and said, like, you need to talk to this person. I think she'd be a really good fit. And, you know, I don't know that she would have found us or we would have found her otherwise. But I just, I give so much credit to him as the manager of saying, I hate to lose you. Like, this is not me saying, please leave. <laughs> this is me saying, you're ready for this and go do it. I love that. Yeah. That's really yeah. uh, progress there, right? To like, mm -hmm. look at that. And that's a good manager, like to really understand yeah. the, the people, right? And where they're at. 
That's yeah. So I love that looking outside of the box and 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 that job board. Yeah, it's very. There's a lot of um, resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You can find a lot of trends in there and see what's going on, or even look for your employees if you need to. So exactly. Awesome. So yeah, so as we kind of, I wanted to segue into, I love what you guys are doing at the Nonprofit Alliance. So definitely um, before we sign up there, I want you guys to tell me, um, tell the folks out here where they can find you. But then before we log off, I want to talk about year-end fundraising a little bit. But just as we wrap up this little portion, um, the segment on the Nonprofit Alliance, where can people really find you um, and find out what's going on and where they sure. are? Come find us. Yes, we do. So we post a lot on LinkedIn. um, And so and and very active there. So we have quite a few followers there and you can catch up with us. But really for the the resources, Holly, people should come to our website, which is TNPA, the nonprofit alliance, Mm TNPA.org. And then just use the navigation at the top so you can find our calendar of events. some of our events are are for members only, but many are not. And so checking out the calendar there, we have a DEI calendar that is downloadable. You can load it into your Outlook or your iCalendar and um, that has some of the key, all of our calendars pretty much come loaded with Christian holidays and federal holidays, right? So this is other key holidays that we as managers, we as fellow colleagues should recognize and know may be important to others and also plan around. So we're not scheduling things like mandatory meetings on those days. So check that out. That's a free resource on our site. Um, and, and then quite a bit of information about the policies and, and um, background information on the issues you and I discussed today, as well as some others. Oh, I love that. I love that resource calendar. So I'll definitely have a link in the show notes for all of those different places, the LinkedIn, the website, um, and that that downloadable, because I think that's really, really important, right? Um, different people have different religions and they have different cultures and their holidays, um, you know, are also really important. So I like that looking at mandatory meetings, right? Like landing it on those Fridays or whatever, that might seem good, but holy day, right? So absolutely. Um, and then, so as we kind of... Um, segue then into year-end fundraisers. So I know we wanted to kind of talk about this briefly just to say, hey, it's coming up. You know, right now we're recording this. It's late August, right? And and just looking at it's right around the corner. So what are some things that you're kind of seeing and any kind of trends or things that people are looking at in 2022 and, and beyond? Mm-hmm. You know, the day-to-day chatter is very much about the challenges we're facing, which is always true. So um, inflation and recession, lots of fear about what's happening with the economy and how, of course, that impacts giving sentiment. Um, the supply chain continues to be this residual issue, um, rising postal costs. So any sort of, of direct mail program or fulfillment or all of those pieces are very much budget impacted this year, as is as anything that relies on paper <laughs> um, and, and printing. So hearing a lot about those challenges. Um, and yet there is some optimism. Um, and I was, Holly, as you and I were chatting before we started recording here, I was on a podcast last week, or excuse me, a webinar last week, and we surveyed the room. So we had some data from giving last year, looking at giving USA data, which was increased in real dollars, flat 21 to um, 21 was really flat once we account for inflation. And that was before we got into 22 with you know inflation really jumping. And so we took this poll in the room asking, how do you expect this year to finish compared to budget? And coming into this, we as panelists, just because of some of the chatter of all the challenges that are out there, we as panelists expected 
not really rosy responses in this impromptu poll. And what we found was more than half the room of participants said they were on track to meet and even exceed, and I think two said far exceed, their budgets for the year. And so that tells us a couple things. One, despite all of the challenges, fundraisers and organizations are rising to the occasion. We're staying out there. We're continuing what we know works. We're, you know, we're trying new things. We're having meaningful conversations. We're keeping our donors engaged and informed. Mm-hmm. Two, generosity continues to thrive. You know, and, and so, yes, all of these challenges exist. And our donors still really care about the organizations that that mean the most to them, um, right. ones that they've supported for years and ones that are brand new. Mm-hmm. And then third, I think it says that that organizations have been really smart about how they've budgeted this year, because that question was, how are you tracking compared to budget? Um, and so we didn't ask for clarifying questions on that. So some of those budgets may have been less than last year. Some may have been more conservative. Some may have really, you know, dreamt for the stars. <laughs> um, But regardless, to see that kind of optimism in the poll says that organizations are really on track with their fundraising, which means they're probably on track with their spending. Where spending gets out of whack is where fundraising falls behind. And so the goals that they set out to achieve this year are likely also on track. I love that. I love that 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 was the response because I probably would have been on the side of the panelists thinking, oh, they're not going to be tracking well or thinking they're not tracking well and that sort of thing, because like you said, that chatter is everywhere, inflation and this. And I think even with an election year, it's compounded a lot of times because that fear mongering, sensationalism to, I'm not saying inflation is sensationalized, but I'm saying that some people can Mm -hmm. spin it off and, and make it keep talking about it more and more and more, right. Instead of solutions. So it, it can feel kind of hopeless, right? So I'm glad that nonprofits are, you know, nope, they're keeping their their hope, they're understanding that they have a plan, they're doing their plan, and they're getting out there. And, and I wonder if some of it's too, because like, as you mentioned, things are not normalized completely, but there is a new sense of kind of uh, normalization as far as there's a little bit more structure right now with, with COVID, right? Um, and to say that there's more in-person fundraisers, they're kind of returning to some of the things and maybe learning too from some of the the new things that they did during COVID on how they can leverage those better. So has there been any kind of discussion on that too, as far as what they're actually doing for their fundraisers that makes sense? I I think when COVID forced all of us to push the pause button on what were tried and true plans, you know, what we knew would always work, right? <laughs> and we can we can predict that it'll increase this much this year, or that we'll have this much attrition. And all of that was very predictable. And then it was all tossed into the blender. And it allowed, right, not forced, it allowed organizations to think differently, because all of a sudden, it was anybody's guess. And so it allowed organizations to think differently, to give themselves permission to try some things and kind of read the results and make a left turn if they needed to keep going if it if all signs were good um, to, to just respond a little bit faster. Now we don't all want to live in the COVID <laughs> blender forever. It's not sustainable. We all very much know that at this point. But some of the, that rubber band hasn't completely snapped back. There's a little bit of like, hey, remember when we tried that 
risky thing. Or remember when we dialed this down, but we didn't turn it off completely and we dialed up something else instead. And, and then there's also this appreciation, like you said, events or face-to-face fundraising or some of these things that did have to go away or look very different for a couple of years. Appreciation for bringing those back, seeing them resume, appreciating and respecting the place they have in our overall fundraising, um, you know, profile, um, portfolio and, and the need to diversify. That's the other thing that organizations that really struggled were the ones that had such successful events, walks and runs, and were so reliant on those. And who would have ever thought that all of them would be stopped overnight. You might lose one city because of a weather issue or, a, yeah. but to lose all of them overnight. And so it's, we all know this fundraisers know this organizations know this, but having lived through it, the importance of investing in new channels to have that diversification. So if, and when something unexpected does happen again, there's a little bit more of a safety net. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that you kind of looked at that and said, you know, tuning into different things and saying, Hey, what worked, what didn't, can we turn the dial up on this down on that, you know, and, and having that kind of flexibility is so important. Right. But like you mentioned, when you had such successful events, why would you change? Why would you think outside of the box? You have, you know, your swipe copy ready to go. <laughs> you have all the things done. Yeah. Um, so I think it, 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 you know, definitely looking now and kind of not feeling like super overwhelmed, like in the beginning with all the learning curves, I think now people are, okay, you know what, we could do that virtual thing because that actually worked really well, but let's also combine it with this or let's also do that. And you know, I'm glad that nonprofits are out there trying different things, but also getting some, seeing what works, some evidence-based <laughs> practices, if you will, what actually worked for us. Um, and the appreciation, right? Like I even see that it's like a lot of times before it was like going to all the fundraisers, you know, but now like really appreciating them and really seeing their place in society and how that works, you know, for your social life or your community life, you know, and all of that and bringing that back together. So I'm really glad that that's what you're seeing in nonprofits and kind of what I'm hearing too, as far as um, year end and events, um, really successful in 2022. So I'm really excited to see some of the return, but also how things look a little bit differently, but it's okay. And they're actually seeing, let's, let's take in what worked, right? Instead of it just being like, oh my gosh, we have to do this thing. And there's no other choice. Now there are other choices, but let's still keep this one thing because it actually worked out okay. Right. So that's been really cool to see as well. Yeah. So as we move into the end of the year, anything else you'd like to uh, talk about before we close out tonight or comment on? I think it's always, I feel like I've closed with this um, on a couple of recent programs, but I think it's always worth calling out, just looking out for each other. And so we're talking about end of the year and we're talking about fundraisers, looking out for our development teams. Um, Despite the optimism, things look good because teams are working hard and Sometimes teams are understaffed and sometimes individuals are doing things they haven't tried before. And sometimes that means stuff doesn't work. Right. And, and surprises do happen. And so just looking out for each other and, and taking care of one another, um, that can get especially hard once we get into November, December. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so just a reminder for all of us to take care of ourselves and take care of each other. I love that. I love that so much. Yes, absolutely. Looking at those things, they might work and you might, but then all of a sudden you might have 10 fundraisers instead of the five that you were doing. So where's the manpower and all of that and how to balance the work and everything. 
Absolutely. So that's a wonderful note to close off. Thank you so much today uh, for coming on the show, Shannon, uh, from the Nonprofit Alliance. And hopefully we'll have you back on the show um, again to talk about all of the things you're going to be doing in 2023. I look forward to it. Thanks, Holly. Thank you for listening to today's episode. To get all the links or find out about the fall eight-week freelance Grant Writer Academy, visit grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 235. Favor, please, leave a review at the podcast if you love it. My mom loves to read all the love from you. Thank you. This is Bella signing off.